You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 320, The Importance of the Church, A Look at the Acts of the Apostles, Part 2. So last week we started a a bit of an in-depth discussion talking about the the early church and the importance that the early church provided for laying the foundation for Christianity for the next 2,000 years. And we're we're looking at some of the things that that they did um, that we still do today. And we're talking about why the local church, obviously the universal church, but the local church where you and I worship every week, where we're connected, where we've got family, where we've got relationships, where we're um, building a community, uh, why that organization, why that institution, or if you want to use the, 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 the biblical terminology, why this organism, this living, breathing thing is still important. Last week, we looked at some of the background. We looked at uh, the author, Dr. Luke. We talked about the text. We looked at some of the key people. And uh, we started talking about some of the key themes with mission. The the mission of the church has not changed in 2,000 years. Jesus left us final instructions. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. And then we see the, the pattern being lived out in Acts where... Uh, they would go into a city and create a church. They would plant a church there for these new disciples to be a part of. So the message hasn't changed, or the the, the message hasn't changed. Our mission hasn't changed. The methods um, change really um, as often as we need them to. So that was that was last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I encourage you to go jump in and be a part today. We're going to start off talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit in the local church. You know, Jesus never intended for us to live the Christian life in our own power. He never intended for the church to operate in her own power. In Luke, at the very beginning of Luke, um, he said that, you know, this was the, the beginning of what Jesus began to do and teach as he laid out that gospel. But in Acts, we see Jesus continuing to work, but now he's doing it through his people by the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts 1.8, uh, it says, You will receive power. And this is an interesting little passage of Scripture because a couple of verses before, the disciples say, Lord, uh, now that you're raised from the dead, now that you've been resurrected, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are we going to you know, be... The, the glorious kingdom of Israel once more. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. 
And, you know, when we look at the book of Acts, we see Luke, the author, giving us the clearest picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit anywhere in the Bible. Now, that's not to say other guys don't talk about it. John gives some great teaching on the Holy Spirit um, through the lips of Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16. Um, The Apostle Paul, absolutely brilliant discussion of the Holy Spirit. Read um, his, his letter, the, fir- the first letter to the Corinthian church, an amazing discussion of the Holy Spirit, his gifts and how he works. But with Luke, remember what we talked about is the fact that, that he teaches through stories. Luke teaches through stories. So when you read the book of Acts, you see a history book, but he's presenting history through narrative, through stories, and you see the Holy Spirit working through the lives of other people. Over and over again, we're told, and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, or and Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait, I, I thought they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Wasn't Peter filled in, in, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, but then he was filled again later? Paul, wasn't he filled with the Holy Spirit right after his conversion? Well, sure, but he was also filled with the Holy Spirit again later. And this gives us a pattern for us. And this is an interesting theology because in many uh, circles of Christianity, this is not what is taught. Um, what is taught is you get everything at salvation, and, and that's it. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament makes it very clear that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over again. And, and um, one of the resource highlights that I'm going to put on here is uh, The Deeper Life by A.W. Tozer. Fantastic book talking about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things Tozer says is, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and not know it. You either are or you aren't, and it's it, it seems to be impossible from the Scripture to say that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you've never really thought about it, or you really didn't even know it. There wasn't anything different. So um, definitely check that book out. I'll list it in the uh, resource highlights in a few minutes. So you see this progression through the Scriptures of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of God's people. The early church... Acts of the Apostles gives us this brilliant overview of the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit is given in the context of mission. As we said, um, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to come and empower His followers to continue doing His works. As we saw in Acts 2, um, Acts 2, 1-4, you see the Holy Spirit falling on those believers on the day of Pentecost, but we see repeated fillings throughout the book. And this is interesting. Again, this will mess with your theology. Are you going to accept what somebody's told you, or are you going to accept what the Scriptures say? And look, we we, we love to to have our leaders teach us, but sometimes um, we can be taught wrong. And when you read Acts 8, you see Philip going and preaching the gospel and having a revival in Samaria, baptizing people, But it wasn't until Peter and John came and laid his hands on those new believers that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts 19, Paul finding a group of believers who had come to Jesus through John's message. Uh, John the Baptist, they had come to Jesus through his message. They had been baptized. But when Paul said, 
Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And he lays his hands on them, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And these 12 believers, and uh, by implication their families and well, became the nucleus of the Ephesian church. Um, One of the things we also see in, in the church in Acts is the power and the importance of being led by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 15, we see the Jerusalem Council. Should non-Jewish Christians, should the Gentiles, the Greek Christians, should they be required, um, should the men be required to be circumcised, should they all be required to obey the Jewish law to be Christians? Fantastic question. Because if, if Christianity is just a segment of Judaism, then maybe we should obey it all. So there was a discussion. There was a lot of discussion. And eventually, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, who had stepped into a leadership role in the early church in in Jerusalem, um, came to a conclusion. They wrote a letter to the non-Jewish Christians telling them that they did not have to be circumcised or obey the Jewish law, just a few minor requirements that they placed on them, not for their salvation, but so that they could enjoy fellowship with the Jewish Christians. And, and, And he starts off this letter by saying, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to us. That's an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? It seemed inter- It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. In other words, there was this consciousness that they were making a decision and the Holy Spirit was involved in the decision-making process. How, how, how conscious are you of being led by the Holy Spirit in your daily life? This is not a trick question. We all should be. If you're a follower of Jesus, there should be a sense of hearing the Holy Spirit's voice when you read the Scriptures, impressions in your heart and mind, um, however He chooses to speak to you, but there should be a sense of being led by the Holy Spirit. And then the other aspect of the Holy Spirit that we see working in, in His people in the early church, and this really should be something that we celebrate and enjoy today as well, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have never gone away, contrary to what is taught in some uh, segments of Christianity. Um, We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit like we've never needed them before. But we don't just use the gifts of the Holy Spirit in church. They're given to us to help us be more effective ministers, to help us to be more effective evangelists, to help us be better witnesses. So the Holy Spirit really... Is, is living and breathing and active, and He's working in every part of our lives. But I think too many Christians neglect His ministry because we can wrap our head around the idea of God. We can wrap our head around the idea of Jesus, but when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, it gets a little spooky and a little mystical. And you know, um, as N.T. Wright says, the, 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 the more Spirit-filled we become, and if you don't know who N.T. Wright is, he's probably one of the most conservative theologians on the planet, Um, but a brilliant mind, and he says the more we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the more normal we should become. The more spiritual we become, the more normal and relatable we should come. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us weird. He makes us like Jesus. All right, I'm going to stop here for just a second. Today's resource highlights, there's two of them. I've already mentioned A.W. Tozer's book, The Deeper Life. Fantastic book. I encourage you to read it. 
It's actually called Keys to the Deeper Life by A.W. Tozer. Um, short little book. You can probably read it in a day or so. I mean, it's just, I think it's less than 100 pages, but it's absolute dynamite with A.W. Tozer talking about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit and the importance of the church to operate in the realm of the Holy Spirit. One of the things he says is that we can't fulfill the ministry God's given us to fulfill in our own power. That's simple, but so profound. Because I've caught myself too often, and maybe you have too, trying to do things in my own strength and power. Second resource highlight, my book, Peter and Paul in Acts. We're talking about the Acts of the Apostles, so this is book, a book that you need to have on your shelves. We delve into the background of Acts. We also look at some of the background of Luke, um, because they're written by the same author. We provide a detailed outline, and we go through the Acts of the Apostles, looking at the way apostolic ministry was performed and conducted. And what we'll find is there are so many great lessons that we can learn from them and apply in our lives today. So check out Peter, Paul, and Acts and Keys to the Deeper Life. Well, all right, we talked about the Holy Spirit and the vital importance of the Holy Spirit being involved in the the, the life of the church today. And how do we get him? Well, we ask. We ask. Simple. Jesus said in, I think it was Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So ask. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask for the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit and ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we want to talk about is we're talking about the importance of the church. And, and, and seeing the early church develop, what was important to them and what should be important to us, and that is prayer. The early church was a church that prayed. <clears throat> and what you see when you look at the early church, we see them praying corporately, but we also see the Christians praying individually. Um, in Acts 1, we see them coming together. This is before the Holy Spirit has fallen, and they prayed together. In Acts 2, they were praying together and the Holy Spirit fell. In Acts 4, after being arrested, they are praying together. And it says that um, uh, Peter and John had just been arrested because they had healed a lame man. And it says they came back together with their brothers and sisters in the church and they prayed together. And they didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. And as they prayed, the place where they were shaken was the, the place where they were at was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. And then in Acts 12, we see them uh, together praying for Peter. He's been arrested. He's going to be beheaded. And the church is together praying. And an angel, in response to those prayers, goes and opens the jail cell, jail cell and gets Peter out and sets him free. But we also see them praying individually. In Acts 9, we see uh, Peter on the roof waiting on his lunch, and as he's praying, as he's meditating, he has a vision that ultimately leads to the gospel being taken to non-Jews. Very powerful. Um, in Acts 10, we see Peter praying. Um, he's been called to, to the house where a woman has died. A member of the church um, has died in Joppa, and so he comes and he prays. Um, you know, basically saying, God, what should I do? And then he raises her from the dead. Very, very powerful. We see the Apostle Paul praying. Um, after he comes to faith, he's fasting and praying. What should the next step be? 
in another place, it says he's in the temple praying, asking God what his next step should be. So this this lifestyle of prayer should be something that really describes us as Christians, but also describes the church. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in my church background, it was a good one. It was a good denominational church. But I was always intrigued by the fact that they had a service in the middle of the week on Wednesday nights called a prayer meeting. And yet very seldom did we actually pray. We'd have some good Bible studies. Um, you know, we would have some great messages, but we seldom prayed. And I always thought that was fascinating. We call it a prayer meeting, but we come together to, to hear another message, which I'm sure there's a you know some benefit to that. But what would happen if we would come together regularly as a church and pray? I just left this morning. I was at my church's staff meeting, and we always, um, you know, on Tuesdays after staff meetings, spend half an hour as a staff, as a team, uh, volunteers, leaders, praying for our church, for our leaders, for different things. So it's something we do every week. It's important. But how much are we praying? You know, church is something that we really, we've just talked about the Holy Spirit, that if we're not careful, we can very easily fall into the habit of, of trying to do things on our own. But by praying first, but by putting God first in prayer, individually and corporately, we get the heartbeat, we get the mind of God. And instead of us making plans and asking God to bless them, as we begin to pray, the Holy Spirit comes and will begin to speak to us what His plans are and, and guiding us and leading us. And that's what we see in the early church. Jesus had set a pattern um, of praying, and so His followers continued to cultivate that. You see over and over again throughout the book of Acts, uh, the men and women of God, the church, coming together and pray. It was a part of what they did. So, as, we, as we've talked about today, the Holy Spirit and prayer, these two things go together. But we've got, to have, we've got to have both of them. We've got to have the Holy Spirit moving, and we've also got to make time to pray. And, and as we said, it's not just corporate prayer. It's also individual prayer. Um, our corporate prayer is only going to be as strong as our individual prayer lives. And so it's something we should be cultivating every day, spending some time in God's presence. Well, I'm going to stop there. Um, we've still got a couple of more important things to talk about, talking about the importance of the early church, and uh, we'll either finish next week or the week after. But by all means, tune in next week when we continue on this important topic of the importance of the local church, a look at the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, leave me a question or comment, in the comment section for today's post. Uh, that way we can stay in touch. I'll never give your email address away. It's just a way for me to make sure that you get fresh content slipping right into your inbox um, three days a week. So by all means, do that. Let's stay in touch there. If you have any questions or comments, drop those in the comment section so that we can talk about it. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and I'll see you next week on Leading and Learning. Mm-hmm.